Welcome to Fandom Power. Hey guys, welcome back to Fandom Power Presents Order 66. I'm your host, Wes R. Scott, and today with me in studio once again, Andrew Daw. Hello. And Hank McLaughlin. Everyone. This is it, guys. This is the, uh, this is it. Episode four. Our episode four. <laughs> mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a heavy one. It's very emotional. It is heavy. And I found myself a couple of times where I was, uh, not going to lie, I, uh, I bawled like a baby at a couple of points in this one. For personal reasons, but <laughs> which may or may not come out over the course of this episode. So before we get going into today's episode, last week we agreed that we'd uh, do a little homework, and uh, let's let's start with uh, one of those pieces. So, question came up last week: Hey, where's the dark saber during this period? <laughs> uh, yes, sir. Uh, so. There is some explanation in the sense that we know, and you would know better than both Andy and I, Hank, because you actually read it, but it turns out that the Son of Dathomir comic series is actually the last canonical appearance of the Darksaber before Star Wars Rebels. That's true. It's true. So... And we get sort of ambiguously left there uh, on Dathomir at the end. I mean, like, it's, it's not cut and dry. No. But it, I think what you dug for, I think you could find it to be a fact. I think it, it dovetails nicely into some of the speculative stuff that we came up with in the sense that, you know, hiding it, uh, purposefully hiding it so as not to fall into the hands of your enemies, right? Because like you say, like, the, you know, all of Mandalore's at stake. And if you, if you hold that seat of power, you, you'd be pretty hesitant to give it up. So in some, on some level, he had to have some inkling that there was a real potential for things to go wrong. So at the very least, the throne of Mandalore, per se, would have been up in the air. And of course, being certainly the- he's very in tune with the dark side of the force and, and yeah. therefore what happening, the, the zeitgeist of the force in the galaxy at the time. And so protecting... Having a power base to operate from instead of just some sort of willy-nilly solo mm-hmm. position is is much more favorable to someone as powerful and as crafty as he is. So it yeah. makes perfect sense. Well, he's definitely shown making preparations for some event that he knows is coming. So well, he, I mean, last episode he warned all the heads of you know, like he was. Yeah, he he had some forethought for sure. He's he's operating from a place of knowledge. Sent all the crime bosses into hiding. Yeah, that's right. And then we've seen him in the the duel with Darth Sidious, dual wield the the dark saber with um, traditional lightsaber. But even that wasn't enough. So then he gets taken no, he gets Sidious. taken prisoner. And then there's that whole thing that we talked about with you know facing off with uh, Dooku. And then I think there was a mention of he uses it again in the comic books in a duel against General Grievous. That's correct. And then something to, something to the effect of Mother Talzin possesses, she possesses somebody, uses their body. But that is the last canonical appearance of the Darksaber. And like I say, 
he knows he's coming back to a Mandalore under siege. And I mean, his greatest, you know, the greatest threat to him at that point is Bo-Katan and the Republic forces. So oh, no, absolutely. I think on some level, you know, he was, uh, protecting, you know, his, uh, his power base, you know, like, so even if I'm captured, then, you know, at some point I'll, I'll bust out and I'll, uh, I'll get that back because we know that the character has been pretty right. And even if he can get like, you know, all good crime bosses, if he can get his words out, you know, Actually, yeah. in prison, they're going right. to do his bidding. It comes like the ruler of Mandalore comes with a de facto army and yeah. a de facto group of neutral systems that are attached to it too. That's right. So, I mean, it's, it's quite, it's quite the thing to be, you know, you're ostensibly one quarter of the galaxy's power base. Yeah. So that's it. I'm going to call it at that. Until, you know, Lucasfilm decides that they want to, uh, you know, maybe address that one a little bit more on the nose. I'm going with it's hidden on Dathomir until it's discovered later on in Star Wars Rebels. And they literally reference the, the, that, that phrase comes up. We found it among his, his belongings. Yeah, his belongings, yeah. So, and there you have it. Well, my friends, that brings us to the task at hand. And that is, dun, 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 the... F- fourth and final episode of season seven. Twelfth episode. Oh, sorry. The fourth and final episode of this arc. True. But you are correct. It is the twelfth episode. Victory and Death. It's called Victory and Death. It has a runtime of 24 minutes. Like the rest of this season, written by Dave Filoni. This one directed by Daniel Villanova, who previously, I know we talked about him before, was a storyboard artist on Star Wars Rebels. And uh, directed three other episodes this season. So once again, now that I was kind of pinged to the to what I discovered last week, hey, there's two <laughs> official synopses for these episodes. Right. So this is the one, here, the Wikipedia. Now, these two actually are much more in line with each other than last week's were. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Wikipedia one, presumably this is the official synopsis from when it came out last year, says, in the wake of Order 66, Ahsoka and Rex must work to survive. Whereas the Disney Plus episode little descriptor says, uh, with the galaxy in chaos, Ahsoka and Rex are in a race to ensure their own survival. Mm-hmm. So it's pretty similar this time around. Once again, we get the yeah. Lucasfilm titles in green. And the Clone Wars title card comes up in red, just as it has for the the entire arc. So as the title card sequence is playing, it's accompanied by a very particular piece of music, which is also called Victory and Death. Victory and Death, as well as the entire uh, uh, soundtrack, was composed by a guy by the name of Kevin Kinner. So if you've heard that name before, or if you haven't, he's composed the uh, the entire series, Clone Wars. That's correct. Also was a composer on Star Trek Enterprise. Oh, I did not know that. Yeah, neither did I. Also did uh, CSI Miami and Star Wars Rebels. So there's a... Uh, yeah, exactly. There's some consistency there across the branding, so no, no wonder. And very clearly, he is schooled. He is, he is wizened in the, the school of the Williams. <laughs> yeah, I would have... Yeah, and I mean, much like Gorenson, he's, he's, he's using... He's he's using those that toolkit, if you will. Yes. And 
I don't know uh, in terms of classical score or film score, but um, rap music and hip hop music, it's sampling. And it certainly yeah. feels like there's there's sampling or borrowing key elements from, from John Williams and, because it, it, it is totally seamless. And we certainly, uh, especially last episode and this episode, we, we get those classic hero themes, uh, but played so differently, uh, you know, yeah. uh, that just like the whole somberness of the last episode with the sort of single notes on the piano. No, brilliant, man. Brilliant. And even this piece, like I've described it again with a, uh, it's got a, there's a vocal component and I tried to get the lyrics for it, but I couldn't come up with anything concrete. There was a few speculative pieces that said, you know, it, it could be like, like Gregorian style chant. Mm -hmm. It may have been uh, Bulgarian. <laughs> So I'm okay. like, I didn't want to, I didn't want to dive on it too hard in case it was wrong, but certainly the lyrical quality I described is this like haunting. <laughs> and it's actually thematically, it's, it's really, really close. I had to go back and listen to it, but it's really, really close to the piece of music that's played at the moment of Padme's death. Yeah. So... Yeah. You know, she could have been. That could be exactly where we are in terms of the crossover with Revenge of the Sith, like that time of her life, the end of her life. That's right. Because yeah. we don't hear that piece of music again once it ends. Very good, yeah, because that's exactly, you know, we're ostensibly a few hours after, Yeah. you know, after yeah. Obi-Wan leaves Anakin on, on Mustafar. The piece of music kind of it mirrors what we're hearing. It mirrors victory and death, like I said, at the time of her death and carries right through to Anakin being rebuilt as Darth Vader, right mm -hmm. to the point where he gets up off of the, like the, the, the helmet goes on and you get that snapped. Rise. And when he delivers the best line in cinematic history. Well, there is that part too. Yeah. Yes, master. Rise. The music continues while the scene fades uh, to an exterior shot of the Victory Class Star Destroyer in hyperspace. The camera pulls in and uh, transitions to an interior shot where we see a squad of clones cutting their way through the door to the medical bay where Ahsoka, Rex, and the droids were holed up in our last episode. Rex asks Ahsoka, how are they going to get out of here? And she says that she's got a plan, and she then instructs Rex to set his pistols on stun. As the torches continue to cut around the door jam, Ahsoka beckons Rex to wait, wait. And when the torches cut through the last remaining bit of structure, Ahsoka uses the force to hurl the door down the hallway, taking out several clones along the way. Now. Ahsoka with her lightsabers and Rex with his twin DC-17 pistols burst into the hallway and continue fighting off the remaining clones so that they can make their escape but more 332nd clones arrive to fill in the ranks of the fallen. Ahsoka orders R7 to find a way out of here, and he jacks into the ship's computer. R7, find us a path out of here. After a short fight, Rex and Ahsoka manage to clear a path, and the droids, R7, GG, and Cheap, they make their way out into the hallway. R7 bleeps a short message to Ahsoka, and she relays to Rex that all the escape pods have been destroyed, and their best bet is to take a shuttle. The escape pods have been destroyed. Taking a shuttle is our best bet. In a moment of levity, which I found kind of funny that Rex still has time to pause and make a joke, Rex taking in the bodies around him stops to quip, Boys are having a rough time of it. Yeah. And then he's like, did you hear that Maul escaped? 
Ahsoka retorts, he didn't escape, I let him out. Now Rex, fully back to his old self, says, what? Why? And as Ahsoka trots down the hallway, she calls back, diversion, come on! Rex, thinking out loud, says, that's one word for it. And then he gives chase to catch up. Kind of another moment of uh, where we really get into the humanity of, of the clones and that, you know, it's even in... to give Rex the human moments in this, too. It's perfect. In the darkest of times, and, and I, I, I say this from my own soldiering experience, that, like, when things are going really bad, black humor is some of the best. It just keeps you going, you know? Like, stuff that you would never even think about, you know, in, in the course of your day you know, back here in Canada or wherever it is that you're listening to us from. But, you know, in the, in the throes of war, it's amazing what you, know, you, what you can find to keep going. Meanwhile, Maul makes his first appearance striding down a hallway. He's now wearing the clone armor Vambrace with the comm link <laughs> from the dismembered clone that we saw lose his arm back in episode 11. The comm goes off detailing that uh, Target 1, Ahsoka, has escaped the medical bay. A second clone is heard asking about the status of CT-7567, Rex, and he's declared as missing in action. The voice says, did he aid in Tano's escape? And then the reply is unknown at present. As the calm chatter dies off, a pair of clones close in on Maul, and he promptly levitates them before force choking them to death. Funny, you know, Maul, like in the last episode, the last time we saw him, we talked a bit about how he was in and out of his insanity as i've been calling it that's right in this episode there's like almost none of that he's all game all episode no doesn't deviate yeah like all like really none moves yeah got a target and he's going for it next we're treated to an establishing shot of a uh, interior cavernous location on the ship the area is crisscrossed with catwalks and large computer consoles reminiscent of the ones that we see on the Death Star back in uh, 77. And in typical Star Wars fashion, the catwalks have no railings. Railings save lives. <laughs> they do. <laughs> Individual clones of the 332nd can be seen patrolling the catwalks when Maul, still holding up one of the previously uh, choked clones, opens up the door and then hurls the body into one of the clones, knocking him off the catwalk with a uh, kind of a Wilhelmish. Dashing forward towards one of the consoles, another clone shoots at Maul while simultaneously reporting that target number two is in the hyperdrive room. And then the context of like, oh, that's where we are. I never once considered that capital ship hyperdrives were that big. Well, to move the whole ship. You know, I think it like the the hyperdrive for um the Falcon is uh, fairly small. We presume it's small. You don't but really it? see it. But he, we do in the Phantom Menace. In the Phantom Menace when the hyperdrive breaks on uh, the Royal the Naboo Royal ship, they pull the whole right. thing out. And it's it's big, but it's like as big as a bookcase. Right? Uh, you do get to see the Falcon's hyperdrive in the Lego Star Wars game. So one of the uh, like bases it they, I mean, I don't know how canon those things are, but the, it, you get to explore the Falcon in detail. And there are a whole bunch of different rooms you get to go into. That's cool. So is that I mean, the new one? Kind of 
Uh, is the no, new one the even new, out? The one, yeah, the new one, they keep pushing it and pushing okay, it and pushing it. I'm super excited, though. I, I friggin' love those games. So with some creative use of the Force, Maul forces the clone to aim at his own men before firing a burst to kill three more clones. Then he switches to this neat kind of hand-to-hand sequence where he uses a flying knee strike to mm. knock the helmet right off the head of one of the troopers. He then catches the helmet and uses it to absorb a pair of blaster bolts before force-pushing the helmet into his assailant, knocking him off the catwalk. <laughs> Hank, you'd talked previously about um, the force being sort of intrinsically linked, you know, if we can, uh, at, you know, at the risk of, of uh, ostracizing ourselves again, talk about sort yeah. of the M count and how the, right. you know, having half a body potentially, you know, means that there's some diminishment there. I was thinking about that very thing in terms of also the High Republic having sort of canonized why Palpatine was able to con- to hide from the Jedi in terms of having this much pain and turmoil in the galaxy. And that's yeah. one of the things that sort of creates galactic feedback with the force between the force and the Jedi, if you will. Yeah. How friggin' powerful is Ahsoka in this episode? You know, like leaping through a burning atmosphere while just running along the hull of a Star Destroyer. And <laughs> There is and, that, yeah. So, and is it more subtle than we know? Is it literally her letting go of her attachment to the Jedi that frees her up? You know, is, is the Force self-aware? Uh, is it aware? I'm not sure if I'm putting it in good enough words, but do you know what I mean? Like, is the Force aware that she's, she's on a different path and therefore she is being more receptive to her abilities, whereas these, you know... I don't. I don't know what I'm saying. <laughs> if we so, but if we if we go with the with the very stringent Lucas, not Lucasfilm, but George Lucas himself. If we go with yes. the midichlorians as microscopic organisms, on some, they are alive. Are they? Right. They never talk about whether they're sentient or intelligent. But I mean, an amoeba is still a living creature. You know, hundred percent. 100%. spores molds and funguses they're all alive so maybe on some level maybe there is an, a, an awareness and maybe you know not to not to cross over our franchises here but you know that whole collective intelligence concept that we see in one of the other star shows is sure. not necessarily out of the question at least i don't you know think I mean? it is anyway if you have these sort of Marvel style gods in control of vast amounts of these powers, certainly there might be some sort of sentience to the force itself. Yeah, maybe. And, uh, and, and therefore, uh, you know, knowing that she's needed is granting her full access to her abilities. And it, it kind of puts an even deeper, maybe more esoteric thing on it. Maybe we're reading way too much into it. Well, you, when you say gods, that's a good point because we're going to, we're going to touch on that briefly towards the end of this episode, but um, certainly we can talk about that now when uh, it future shows in, in rebels where the world between worlds and Mortis and uh, the, the three beings, you know, right. I mean, let's not forget at this point in the story. Yep. Yeah. She's already been resurrected. That's right. So when we talk about those sort of in-between space space and time beings who are presumably manifestations of the Force itself, yeah, maybe there is an intelligence there. 
I think I also just answered my own question. She is the sister, and that's why she's so powerful. The daughter. The, sorry, the daughter. Yes. Yeah. Yes. There is a. There she is a. Is the daughter. There is an argument to be made for her being the daughter or an aspect of the daughter because of that resurrection. And that's what we're going to come to towards the end of the episode. So, but going back to this whole, like the, you know, your force potential is maybe linked to your, your midichlorian count and Maul is half a man. Half a man, yeah. It's pretty impressive how he, his display of, of force ability in this scene when he begins to, well, he rends an entire computer console right off the deck and pitches it like it's nothing. Just because it was in the way. He wanted to stand in the center of that platform. Yeah. I was like, that's just the thing in the way. It's like throwing a desk aside because you'd like to stand and pontificate in the middle of the room. Exactly. why he does that. And then just casually, you know, not giving much thought to, you know, am I still under, under attack? starts heaving on the two hyperdrive generators and like i'm like okay he's gonna break them right and we've seen displays isolated uses of the force like from maul when he pulled the deck plating off and used it as a weapon or jedi overriding a door to open a door but like this goes beyond even when dooku was throwing pillars this is what at, i mean uh, yeah Kenobi like, and skywalker yeah, sure sure yeah, he's rendered these two pieces of machinery off their foundation and then um, proceeds to use them to smash the next yeah exactly exactly yeah it it leans heavily into the previous um versions of the force in the in the uh, original clone wars animated oh yeah yeah for sure it does Where if you've had- never watched the the gendy tartakovsky stuff uh folks highly recommend you go back and you watch it it's uh it's really really good you could almost watch it as a precursor to the uh, to this show. Certainly don't feel it takes anything away, but the Jedi no. are friggin' powerful in it. Big time, big time. Yeah, yeah. Meanwhile, up on the bridge, the command crew working frantically, attempting to bring the ship out of hyperspace. But the destruction of the generators has made that impossible. As the ship begins to uncontrollably fall out of hyperspace, Maul guides the falling generators landing them conveniently on top of a squad of 332nd clones that were just trying to kill him. From there, we get an exterior shot of the ship dropping out of hyperspace, and it looks bad. The entire aft section of the ship looks to be heavily damaged, and as the ship passes the camera, explosions erupt from the engines as the ship drifts over an unnamed planet towards a moon. As Ahsoka, Rex, and the droids uh, charge toward the hangar deck, the klaxon can be heard going off, prompting Rex to remark, I don't like the sound of that. The companions burst into a control room overlooking the main hangar, and Rex stuns the naval troopers that are there. They quickly deduce that the hangar doors are sealed, and Rex remarks, I got everything locked down. If they weren't trying to kill us, I'd be proud. Strange mm-hmm. moment for him to, uh, you know, to reflect They're on. They're doing their job. They really are. Ahsoka sets about issuing instructions to the droids. She orders R7 to start opening the doors on Bay 12. She then tells Cheap to prep the shuttle and instructs Gigi. As the Klaxons continue to ring a squad of clones and a couple of astromech droids make their way past a junction, presumably on their way to the hangar, just as Maul enters the same junction. 
Maul taking cover against a wall. He listens to as his comm goes off, and we learn that Hangar Control has failed to report in because Ahsoka and Rex just subdued them. And the clone lieutenant giving the orders reasserts that he believes they'll try and escape through the main hangar and then orders additional clones to stand by there and wait for his signal. Armed with that new information, Maul then darts off on his own. And it's this neat little back and forth. We saw a little bit of that, you know, in the, the previous episode, go, go be a distraction, be a diversion. That's right. And I think, Andy, you had mentioned how it was reminiscent of Obi-Wan bouncing around the Death Star. Yes. <laughs> no, seriously, it is, yeah, the way yeah. he sort of you know, does the double takes. and the. I felt like this was sort of a, this felt even more like that, but at the same time it felt like, it felt kind of like chess because, you know, you, you got to see each side make their move mm-hmm. independently of each other. And you kind of got this sense of like where they were in relation to each other where you didn't really get that before. Now, one thing on the descriptive it's, audio at this point, though, it's Jesse making those calls. So, again, uh, for whatever reason here in the shop, because of my Roku being an older device, I cannot get the descriptive audio to go off. Right. So I did piece it together that it was Jesse, but it, it kind of came later when I'm like, oh, right. It is him. Right. He's, a, he's the highest ranking clone now that Rex is. He is, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Jump ship, if you will. Presumably... I, you know, the whole clone command structure is baffling to me because, I mean, do they, is, yeah. do they place emphasis on training or rank? I mean, because surely to God there are higher-ranked naval troopers or higher-ranked clones even, but Jesse's an ARC trooper, so does that mean he just has more... I mean, he's a more specialized clone, that's for sure. Um, you know, like possibly... Or like certain types of training give you just another tier of like, well, not official rank uh, or or tiers of hierarchy. It's it's yeah. more of a, an official respect thing. Like if you would like the the green berets. In yeah, the, he's the highest trained guy here, even though he's a lower rank. And we're gonna defer to so his. So if we're gonna move into a combat situation, we should defer to his combat expertise. Whereas yeah. I'm a clerk. Right, exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, I might it, be a I might be a colonel, but uh, I you know I polish your guns, boys. Maybe we should let the so yeah, that's entirely possible. I think it's also with Fibes and Echo and and those characters uh, gone. Uh, he's the perfect person from Rex's past to put in this situation. I just thought about him in context of this arc, and you know, earlier on. Jesse was the one taken prisoner and, and interrogated by Maul forcibly. Yes. yes. And, you know, and he was so, like, he was like, I'm sorry, I told them everything. And, yes. you know, Ahsoka kind of forgives him for that. You know, and now here we are, and it's the complete opposite. And, and he's the one now that's charged with, you know, bringing them in, killing them. He certainly, he hesitates a couple of times, but then he makes the opposite decision of Rex. Well, he does. I mean, he's uh, he chip still, but... fully reverts to program. Even in that moment when it finally happens, and and uh, you'll see you see it where like Rex is questioning him. I don't want to get too far ahead of us, but mm-hmm. Rex questions his sense of right and wrong, and he kind of buys into it for like half a second, and yeah, then the sh- the shoulders drop, the head kind of cocks off to the side, and it's like. It reminds me of uh, some of the lines from when I was in the military. If you can't dazzle them with brilliance, baffle them with bullshit. Mm-hmm. And at that point, when when Jesse kind of drops his shoulders and 
and turns his head, like he's had enough bullshit. Do you know what I mean? Because yeah. that's where he kind of reasserts himself. No, I am accusing you. And then the whole thing takes a turn. But throwing back to that point where he was uh, kidnapped by Maul, yeah. they do point out he's one of the older clones. Older clones, yeah. So maybe yeah, yeah. age of a clone has something to do with Possible. The, uh, yeah. the ranking. Well, age too, and sure. Certainly if, you're, if you've lived... Longer, then you would have more experience. More combat experience, yeah. And just like any, you're going to get a reputation. You know, you've been in more battles. You've been around longer, ostensibly, out of the millions and millions of clones that were made and the, the yeah. hundreds of thousands or even low millions that die. People that survived for that long are going to have some sort of notoriety or celebrity. I would think so, yeah. Respect, bare minimum respect. Certainly amongst their their own ranks. I mean, yes. uh, stories travel across the military, so I can only imagine that the, the Republic military is no different. Meanwhile, back in hangar control, Rex and Ahsoka learn from Gigi that the hyperdrive is not only offline, but has been utterly destroyed. Destroyed? It's completely gone? And the ship is now caught in the gravitational field of the nearby moon. Ahsoka orders R7 to open the main hangar doors. The hangar doors to a Victory-class Star Destroyer run the full length of the ship's forward hull. And as they crack open, we see the grim visage of the moon's surface coming into view. It's clear that the ship is doomed, and Ahsoka stoically says, We need to get out of here. We get a quick shot of the Venator, and we can see that it's starting to break apart. What appears to be the thrust nozzles of the main engines have come off. Mm -hmm. Among the chaos on board the doomed ship, clones continue to race towards the hangar, while Maul casually strides along just behind them, undetected. Back in hangar control, R7 has managed to get the berth that contains the shuttle to get the bay unlocked, and as the doors retract, a Republic attack shuttle comes into view. Ahsoka, with just a hint of excitement in her voice, says, There it is! But that excitement is short-lived as several other bay doors open and a large force of clones spill out into the main hangar Dejected, Rex intones, they were waiting for us. As the clones fall into rank and file, we see ARC Trooper CT5597, Jesse, stroll out in front of the formation, ordering his men to hold position, and that if they try to leave, they'll have to go through us. Rex, ever the fighter, questions, are we going to fight our way to the shuttle? And dejectedly, Ahsoka remarks that there are too many, and that she doesn't want to hurt them. Her sorrow in the moment is palpable, but not as palpable as the pain and anger that Rex feels as he exhorts how, despite the impending crash of the ship, his clone brothers don't care. I hate to tell you this, but they don't care. They're willing to die in the crash and take both him and Ahsoka with them. It's a powerful and sobering moment as Rex's own humanity is contrasted up against the cold, inhuman, droid-like persistence of the clones who are now acting out Order 66. I think this is the moment Rex realizes that but the mission and the clones yeah. have always had the same mission. In fact, they, uh, when they die, it's like they're programmed to say the same thing, like the mission is over. Yeah. He realizes that the mission is, is to get him and Ahsoka. The mission is to destroy the Jedi and any clone still loyal to the Jedi and that his mission is over. So there's a moment of that there where he's... His only purpose now is to survive. Maybe he's got some 
fatherly protecting of Ahsoka to do as she seems to be taking the lead in the protection sort of situation here. But it's a huge moment for him where I think there's enough time for him to breathe and really realize that that his mission is over, but he has to live through that. Yeah. I feel like there's a bunch of other things going on there for him as well. Like, you know, there's a potential where like he sees this is the end and, you know, looking down there and seeing those clones in formation, seeing Jesse, his friends, knowing that, you know, they're between him and living and the idea of having to fight your friends, having to get through, having to kill your own. Mm-hmm. has to play very heavily on what he's feeling. Ahsoka, seeing her friend hurting, takes a moment to pull off Rex's helmet, and we see the pain as the tears streak down his face. Oh, man. She attempts to comfort him, reminding him that he and all of the other men on board the ship are good soldiers, but she isn't the one who's going to kill them. But I am not the one who is going to kill them. Rex contemplates their option, questioning, are we just going to surrender then? And when Ahsoka answers, No. Rex retorts, Well, I don't see any other option. Turning her attention back to the hangar deck, Ahsoka takes in the formation of troops for a second before saying, I think I have an idea, and follows that up with, Don't worry, it's a good one. I think. Mm-hmm. She then turns towards the three astromech droids and says, Can I count on you three? The three droids bleep and blurp their approval. And as the ragtag band of heroes depart from hangar control, Ahsoka says, good, I'll explain on the way. That's very Anakin. I think it's a good one. It's a crazy Anakin line. Which part? Like, just the way she delivers it. Don't yeah. worry. It's a good one. It's I a think, good one. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's a very Anakin, you know, way to, like, there was I'm that... just going to jump in. I'm not, you know, I'm making this up as I go along. Very Indiana Jones. Yeah, and the optimism in her voice at that point, too, yes. like was like, oh, that's good. Like, there's still some, you know, as we said earlier, we all universally accept that, you know, Star Wars is is sort of themed around hope at, at its mm-hmm. core. And right. even then this moment, there it is. A thought there, she's though. not a good soldier if who she was trained by doesn't shine through. And in these situations, Anakin is cocky and arrogant and, and sharp as attack. And <laughs> yeah. that's, that shows through right here. It does. What are you going to say, Andy? Uh, a thought on the whole, I'm not going to be the one to hurt them. Yeah. Inadvertently, she technically is. Because she's the one who unleashed Darth Maul, who then ripped out the hyperdrive. So, so that's definitely an interesting counterpoint. And you can't really, yeah, you can't ignore that. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I said last episode as well. If we're going to blame her for anything in terms of letting Maul go, is that she's, while it's a distraction to provide for her personal survival and Rex's personal survival, she unleashes this guy, a crime lord with, with the abilities of a Sith lord on the galaxy. Yep. So maybe a good chunk of the Ahsoka Tano show should be about how she's trying to track down mall as well to sort of you know put that one make up for that possibly have we so i don't want to get away from what we're talking about too far but as far as that show is concerned isn't ahsoka supposed to cross over with the mandalorian i i I had heard that i'd also heard that 
we were going to and again rumors are going crazy right now but i'd also heard rumors that they were going to that we were going to see ahsoka tano in the obi-wan kenobi show too and not possibly be in the same timeline like not not sorry not timeline but the, the same era it would be a much younger ahsoka in the uh in the obi-wan show i think for ahsoka to spend any amount of time trailing mall we're now we're talking about setting the show much earlier than maybe we were yeah, no, you're right you're right you're absolutely or right. you know a series of flashbacks i guess yeah i do that, which i'm okay with by thing. the way yeah no me too <laughs> i'd like to see her whole life story minute by minute but uh in, in terms of maybe if her her having uh done any having a negative impact on on the galaxy it's probably the aftermath of having let uh, you know, right start starting from the death of all the clones, uh, right, right up to uh, you know having him being the one sort of pulling the strings in Solo. Well, I mean, uh, isn't Star Wars story isn't uh, isn't Ahsoka the one that puts them on to uh, um, going to pick up Rex and Gregor and Wolf? Yes. So I mean, clearly she's maintained connections with them. There is something I'd like to see explored. I'd mm-hmm. love to see you know the the aftermath. And I, we talked about it extensively through the Clone Wars. I wanted Rex to have a face-to-face with Boba Fett, and maybe that'll still happen. But definitely I would like to see sort of the the last vestiges of like the last surviving clones and how did they live out their final days and what's what was the fallout for them. Because, I mean, this... We might get a little bit of that in the Bad Batch. We might just dip into those areas. They yeah. might be saving that stuff for us. That would be a thing that would justify that storyline. I think that at some point they cover up Rex getting away or if they, you know, in any fashion, uh, aid the, the sort of refugees of order 66. I think that could be incredible more than anything else. That is the, that is the thing that keeps me, you know, (laughs) keeps me calm and sort of interested Mm -hmm. in what the bad Mm -hmm. batch might be because it's no secret. I, I feel like that, you know, they're, uh, they're a knockoff of the clone commandos, of which Gregor is one, by the way. Um, no, it's true. And we, I mean, yeah, no, I, I do agree with that sentiment. Um, hopefully it's, I mean, they, they're weaving a, a large web. I mean, Fennec Shand is definitely in, in the bad batch. Yeah, so yeah, we saw the animation model for her. She right. looks I great. I caught that in the trailer way back when. I was thinking, like, was that Fennec Shand? I think it was yeah. back when we were doing the, the Mandalorian That's right. series. So. Yeah, so I, you know, I, I'm gonna with with Filoni and Favreau doing a lot of the strings. I'm gonna let them. I'm gonna, I'll, I'm there. I'm in. I'm, I'm along for in. the ride, no matter what. Like I said before, yep. and I'll say it again. You could uh, you could paint Star Wars on a rock, and I would stare at it <laughs> if you told me it was a new Star Wars rock. Yeah, you know I would what try I mean? to levitate it. <laughs> <laughs> on your head. Yeah. You're listening to Phantom Power. So on the hangar deck, uh, Jesse stands before the formation of clones when Ahsoka, with hands over her head, is led in by Rex. Her plan, yeah, her plan, as it turns out, is a ruse to convince Jesse that Rex is actually bringing her in. 
Rex and Jesse go back and forth about the interpretation of Order 66 and how it pertains to the Jedi, with Rex arguing that Ahsoka is no longer a Jedi and hasn't been for some time. But Jesse isn't buying it. He goes so far as to parrot Rex's own orders back to him about being under special order from Darth Sidious himself. Rex makes one last appeal to Jesse's sense of right and wrong, saying that if they don't get it right, it will be them committing treason and not Ahsoka. If we don't get this right, we will be the ones committing treason, not her. But Jesse is unshakable and formally accuses Rex of treason. The whole dialogue has given R7, Gigi, and Sheep enough time to maneuver across the hangar undetected, and before Jesse can order his clones to fire on Rex and Ahsoka, the droids spring their own trap consisting of dropping the service elevators that most of the clone forces just happen to be standing on. Dropping the elevators to the maintenance level below, the ruse works to good effect as roughly half of the clones are effectively removed from the ensuing battle. <laughs> Rex, with his pistol still set to stun, begins returning fire while Ahsoka defensively redirects all the incoming fire away from everyone. So, true to her word, she doesn't want to kill them, She's not redirecting them back at, uh, you know, like they would typically in, in a... She's, the sh she's a shield right there. Yeah, exactly. She's just tossing them, you know, willy-nilly kind of anywhere, but away from anybody where they could hurt them. That's right. At this point, Maul enters the hangar, and seeing the fracas, he seizes a chance to steal the shuttle out from under them, while simultaneously avoiding the remaining clones. Gigi, seeing this unfolding, frantically begins bleeping a warning to Ahsoka, and both she and Rex see it and give chase. Maul screams at Ahsoka, You wanted this chaos! You wanted this chaos! Before force-pushing her towards one of the open elevator shafts. But using her lightsabers like an ice climber would their ice axes, Ahsoka is able to dig into the deck, slowing her fall enough to give Gigi time to deploy a cable which she is able to grasp before falling several decks below. She nearly cuts Maul's head off here. He has to physically step back, not use the force. He has to physically step yeah. back. And even after he force pushes her with such force that her lightsabers don't even grab, they cut back to him and he's clutching his pearls. The look oh, yeah. on his face yeah, yeah. when that lightsaber goes millimeters by his throat is he nearly dies there. That, that was awesome. The, the, get to see fear in his eyes right there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, I think, really, it's his only spoken line in the episode. Absolutely. The, you wanted the chaos, yeah. So it's enough of a break to give Maul the opportunity to get to the shuttle unscathed, although not, you know, <laughs> unaffected, as we just pointed out. Oh, yeah. Meanwhile, Jesse and the other clones who have fallen to the maintenance level begin to come around and get back to their feet, and they start shooting up at the heroes. All the while, Gigi is struggling to reel in the cable that Ahsoka is dangling from. Jesse orders his men to get the elevator back up to the hangar level, and Ahsoka climbs the rest of the way out. As she makes her way out of the shaft, we see Maul maneuvering the shuttle out of its berth, moving towards the open hangar doors. Ahsoka, desperate to not let him leave with the ship, attempts to hold it with the force. Maul pours on the throttle, and the thrust is enough to drag Ahsoka down the deck. Rex tries to grab a hold of her, adding his weight to the tug-of-war, but a reorganized contingent of Jesse's troops forces Rex to let go so that he can bring both of his pistols to bear. 
and loyal right to the end, R7 attempts to get in front of Ahsoka, but is caught in the dome by random blaster fire and falls lifeless to the deck. So, like, unsung, like, just, like, I really got the impression that R7, like, we talked a bit about the loyalty that droids tend to develop, especially astromech droids, right? And here we are, right to the end, like, Rex sees what's going on, tries to grab her because she's getting dragged down the deck. He's like, well, I'll just hold on to her. He can't do it because he's got to use both guns to fire back. And so what does R7 do? I'll just put my body in front of her so that maybe we'll stop her. And just trying to make that, you know, get around in front of her, catches one in the head. And this is the moment I was talking to you about before we went on air. This is the one that got me big time. Yeah. Because she, you know, you, you want to you wanna see if your friend's okay, but that's not the job. Uh, and uh, just very painful to watch that uh, in terms of some things that we've talked about in the past. Yeah, yeah. You know, I they're each so focused on what they're doing, and it's like, I in that moment I kind of wondered like, who, where the awareness of each other was like, because to me it felt like again, you know, she's so focused on trying to prevent the shuttle from leaving because that's their way out, that's and right. he's like, I can't, I can't hold on to you and cover you at the same time, so I have to choose. And so he goes right back into soldier mode and does his job, which at this point touches on that stuff that we talked about before, where now the job is different and now having to, you know, yes, he's using his pistols on stun, but having to fight your own people. Oh, Oh, man. Yeah. yeah. Having been struck in the shoulder, Rex yells to Ahsoka that he can't hold them off. There's too many of them. Ahsoka resolves to help her friend and in that moment releases her grip on the shuttle and turns her attention back to the firefight behind her. But for a second, yeah, he's actually surprised by it. And I think she is too, because she's holding, 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 holding. And like she, for a second, she hesitates and then let's go. Like, yeah, she's got to stop and make that choice to let go and focus on what's important. And I think in that moment, we really see what is important to her that, you know, the whole bond we, we kind of talked about this before where we knew that they were, they were close in the sense that they had fought many battles together. But, you know, we, we'd kind of remarked about how, when she said like, and it couldn't ask for a better friend, you're like, Oh, they're that close. Yes. You know, we didn't really get that before. Hmm. I think that really shines through in this moment where, yeah, she's really made the decision that, you know, live or die. I'm going to do it with my friend. And, and ostensibly, she's giving up the the choice to live, yeah. To just give her friend five more minutes because they're both yeah. going to die anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That resolution of like, uh, we're not yes. getting out of here. We're going to go down no, together. But, yeah, but we're going to go down together. Yeah, and we're going to you know on our terms. Yeah. At this point, Maul makes good his escape, and we can see what's left of the Venator still coming apart as it falls into the atmosphere of the unnamed moon. And as the shuttle passes the camera, we switch to an interior shot of the cockpit and of Maul as he jumps the ship into hyperspace. And that is the last we see of him for uh, a few years. That's right. Meanwhile, as the battle on the hangar deck continues, clones have now circled Rex and Ahsoka on three sides. With nowhere to go, Ahsoka releases her lightsabers and uses the Force 
to make them cut a circular pattern in the deck below them. It's one of the coolest things I've it's ever seen. It's super, <laughs> super cool, yeah. There's a yeah. moment in Legends. Oh, it might be uh, Dark Force Rising. It's one of the first three Zon books where Luke enters a, a... It's like a... I don't want to call it a throne room, but it enters a round room. Mm-hmm. And in the room, it's dark, so you can't see. And there's a bunch of like floor-length tapestries hanging in the room, and behind each tapestry is a Nogri assassin. Okay. And he uses the force to sense their presence and basically throws his lightsaber in a circular motion around the room, killing all of them in this, like... Yeah, yeah, yeah. And drops them all in I don't know if we actually ever had the actual conversation, but I remember it being a, a, like this bone of contention when I was a child. Uh, even even then, when when Vader in Turn of the Jedi throws his saber at Luke, at Luke, uh, and it it stays on. There was this whole idea that you had to yeah, have it on yeah, the, yeah. the whole time, and that how sometimes somehow he was using the Force to keep the to thing keep lit. it on. Because every time other other time you see a, a, a Jedi sort of drop it, lose their weapon, it goes they out go off automatically. Yeah. Right, like Luke's Luke gets his hand cut off, it, it, the blade is out off. Like yep, this. yep. Right, like there's that. Uh, in terms of the ability to be able to keep, keep it on and then redirect it around the room, or is it like uh, a is it like a drill where you've got the trigger lock? <laughs> maybe it's biometric. <laughs> maybe right? I mean, that's a thing in our world now. Biometric weapons. So it but certainly it really lends credence to my my. Uh, my role-playing character of a, a Jedi without an arm that we still wields still the can wield a lightsaber, yeah. With that hand, although it's just a sort of a force-projected hand, it looked like the lightsaber is doing all the things it normally would do, but floating, you know, a foot off his elbow kind of action. Certainly, the uh, the biometric thing is an interesting concept, but uh, Empire we see Han Solo use it to as a tool, but he still uses right. it to gut the uh, the tauntaun. Yes. Well, they do uh, touch on that in the Disney Infinity game. One of Vader's moves is literally just, you know, heaving the lightsaber and cutting down his enemies. It's really prevalent in Star Wars video games. Uh, Force Unleashed is, uh, you can toss a lightsaber. Uh, uh, Knights of the Old Republic, you can. there's a lightsaber throwing maneuver. So, I mean, uh, I think there's a lot of uh, uh, width and breadth for interpretation and i don't think that any one of them is right and i don't think that any one of them is wrong i think there's a healthy mix of of all of the things that we think it may be i i do agree with with lauren on on certain points where if you have the ability to wield the force uh it certainly seems at least from what we've seen and we've seen plenty of power but the, the, the Jedi and Sith are very limited in terms of imagination because yeah. the things we can see them do, they, I mean, and Lauren keeps coming back to why can't they fly? If you can levitate a Star Destroyer and you pull it fly. down from orbit, oh, why yeah. can't you fly? <laughs> and yeah, I mean, yeah. Leia does fly through space. That's right. The last Jedi, so. That's true. Or does and, she? And in terms of like sort of magic ability, if you will, and you want to bring it into the Marvel Universe a bit. Or, yeah or the Harry Potter world, if you will, imagination is heavily, you know, influences what you can do with your ability. Of course it does. And so even in role-playing terms that like a, a sort of quicker on their feet player character can influence their, their game character to do different and alternate things with their abilities that, that are exciting and, 
And so I think maybe the austereness of the Jedi Order limits them, and maybe the serious dark nature of the Sith limits them. And somewhere in the middle is this amazing Force user that can do the most amazing things because they're not tied to the dogma of either thing. True enough. If we want to go back for a second, though, and, and uh, I just want to touch on the... Uh, because you you make a good point about Leia flying through space. And I know like the, it tends to get you know written off as like the Mary Poppins moment. And it's funny, haha. But I mean, for me, first time around, uh, this kind of touches back into that whole idea uh, of the Force actually having a sentience and, a, and consciousness. Yes. Because yes. in my mind, Leia didn't do that. The living Force did that. I mean, you know, Qui-Gon Jinn himself says, be mindful of the living force. So on some level, there has to be some, you know, purposeful moments where the force does what it does without you knowing it. I sort of disagree a little semantically. I understand what the, the sentiment of what you're saying, but she opens her eyes and reaches out with her hand in that scene. That's the only I thing agree. That that, semantically different. That absolutely happens, but that doesn't mean that she... To me, that doesn't mean that she did it. I mean, that she's in exposed to the vacuum of space yeah, where, yeah. you know, by rights, she should be boiling. Yep. Um, and, <laughs> as, and as soon as she hits the deck of the ship, she drops unconscious immediately. That's right. So, so it's almost like she's being possessed by the that's force. yeah exactly yeah. and that's where i say like to me it was an easy rationalization you mm-hmm. know oh that is the living force embodied and we've certainly seen that in um in legends novels where the the um can't recall the the, the name of the novel but the one where luke dies on dathomir and the force brings oh, him back to life yeah 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 where he He's dead, and the, like he can suddenly he can feel the insects and the planet breathing and the entire universe and the force literally just because he does a quantum leap in his ability in Legends after that. Yeah, he, uh, he Pandora's it, <laughs> right? And so, you know, so there there's a while not canon. There's a perfectly super large example of the force being uh, able to. By Pandora, I meant the planet Pandora, not the box. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. No, it, it definitely makes for a great. Uh, great discussion and i i just again in my own uh in my own nerd moment we could just we could talk about this stuff for hours without even having <laughs> without even having a, a structure no it's true i do have a thought on it yeah go for it the force user cannot fly because they're a conduit so they are pulling the force in and redirecting it out so if okay. they were to pull it in and redirect sure. it at themselves you'd just get like a feedback loop and crack out crush yourself get a giant Sort of like a giant leap, maybe like they can. They, but they can definitely clearly, can do that, right? They definitely do that all the time. Well, I'm going to climb to the top of the Bell Alliance building. I'll let you know. How it goes. Yeah, let me know how it goes. <laughs> oh, where are we? Oh, yeah. So she cuts the uh, Ahsoka uses the Force, does this crazy buzzsaw thing where she cuts the deck out from below them. And yeah, then it quite literally whoop drops out and they ah, down they go. We get a quick glance at the Star Destroyer at this point. It's uh, now hitting the upper atmosphere and we can see that the hull has begun to superheat. Having just fallen a couple of decks down to the maintenance level, Ahsoka and Rex are kind of shaking off the, the cobwebs and getting back to their feet. When they, uh, you know, realize that this is a very real uh, from the frying pan into the fire moment as uh, Jesse and all the clones who fell in the droids trap 
uh, right there. now have their weapons trained on them. Behind the clones, we can see uh, Republic Y-Wing fighters uh, in the distance. Rex, recognizing the severity of the situation, sighs in exasperation, and Jesse barks a sharp, Blast him! Blast him! And his blaster fire erupts. It's quickly interrupted because back up on the hangar deck, Cheap and Gigi have gone and made their way back over to the elevator controls, Mm -hmm. and Cheap has triggered the elevators to forcibly pop like a toaster. Yep. (laughs) Bunch of clone Pop-Tarts. Yeah, really. And so the clones are launched into the air and then fall comically back to the deck. Sadly, this is the end for both GG and Cheap as a squad of clones discovers them and summarily blasts them to oblivion. Again, these poor droids, you know. Uh Yeah. These sort of unsung heroes who, you know, it's amazing how quickly you can get attached to them, right? I mean, they were essentially, you know, new characters just two episodes ago. And now they're, uh, you know, they play such an integral part of the last two episodes. And now oh, yeah. just done, done. And I don't remember, and maybe it's just me because it's been a long time since, since I've watched the show, but I don't remember Ahsoka having very much of a relationship with R7A7 before this arc. Do you? I think there's a little, a little bit in the, in the initial Clone Wars movie, actually, when maybe. they first introduced the character. You know what? I'm gonna to have to go back and take a look at that because I think you're it's right. A little there. bit of it, but not, you know. And it may, it might pop up. But there might be the odd thing where she's on her own mission. She's got a droid in the cockpit. Yeah. Uh, you know, in the, in the droid hatch of her Jedi fighter. But other than that, no. Like, even the episodes with the droids, where there's like a team of droids, yeah, where yeah, exactly fit with the R2s, and, the, and he's not one of those droids. No, no, because it's use, a, uh, it's a whole other contingent of droids. That's right. With the uh, KTQT. Yeah, yes, KTQT. The, the young lady that died of cancer. That's that right. Was, that's yeah. Story too. Who was immortalized with a pink astromech uh, action figure. Absolutely. So at this point, Ahsoka and Rex have managed to uh, punch through the remaining clones as they uh, are now struggling to find a working ship to escape with. Uh, Rex even goes so far to remark about how they're all here for maintenance. Go figure, maintenance on the maintenance level. Mm-hmm. Spotting a single operational Y-Wing, the two are overwhelmed by Jesse and his forces. The Y-Wing lying across a couple of open maintenance pits. Rex yells for Ahsoka to get me over there. And between her deflecting the hail of blaster fire and moving to gain position, Ahsoka manages to force fling Rex towards the open canopy of the fighter. It's she all take a shot in the shoulder at some point she, here, doesn't she? Yeah. Or is that before they drop the uh, drop? Yeah, it's all she can do to hold them off, even taking a right. bolt to the shoulder. As so a... That's a huge thing, too, because the only other time we've actually seen a Jedi take a shot from a, uh, from a blaster. Blaster, bolt yeah. Is, 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 um, is Kylo Ren from Chewbacca. That's right, yeah. I think another time when we've the actually gut, seen The gut shot that's that right. he just beats so... on to amp himself up. Is that an innate toughness due to the force? Is that able? Is that a force ability to just like withstand pain or to Maybe. like harden your skin? Like, there's all kinds of you know. I could get into that point for. Is a it bit. A, is it a glancing blow where you know like yes, p- people have taken bullet grazes and managed to sort of work through it. In the next scene, Rex has a hole through his shoulder armor, clean through. Yeah, the right through the pauldron. 
where her shoulder is only just charred black. Yeah, yeah. Wearing armor, like you know, right? Like, man. As Rex scrambles into the Y-wing cockpit, another elevator drops to the maintenance level, bringing yet more clones with it. Ahsoka is looking pretty worn out now, and you can tell because their slashes, her lightsaber slashes, come with considerable effort. There's no finesse in this moment. She's literally just uh, pure muscle memory, right? Uh, uh, Trying to deflect the bolts. Meanwhile, back on the bridge, the command crew is struggling to bring the ship down in one piece. An order to fire retro rockets is refuted with, We've lost all lateral control! And then, We're gonna break apart! But that last line is interrupted as the crewman's workstation explodes around him. The moon's gravity has now begun to take effect on the ship, and because of the severe pitch angle, anything not tied down begins to slide. Clones are knocked down by flying debris, and once again, using her lightsabers like a pair of ice axes, Ahsoka digs into the deck to slow her fall. Managing to regain her footing for a moment, she tries to leap to the Y-Wing. Only the Y-Wing falls from its mooring right at the bottom of the ship, as the lowest part of the deck plating has actually been torn away from the ship, and she's now into uh, free fall. <laughs> Rex, in an act of deft piloting far beyond his station, starts the Y-Wing mid-free fall and pulls it out of a flat spin before giving chase to the Venator. Take that, oddball. Yeah, really. Making his way through the debris, streaming off the Star Destroyer, Rex spots Ahsoka in free fall, and he opens the gunner's dome while attempting to maneuver underneath her. And they miss. You know, she tries to grab onto the... To the 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 ring as they as he kind of whips underneath her and for whatever reason she's not able to do it and gets kind of buffeted away from him. So there she puts herself into a free fall nose dive, and I I, I didn't really understand what she was going for in this moment. I thought is she just trying to get away from like the like some of the smaller because it was kind of like a debris cloud I guess. Yeah, I think she was like maybe even on one of the engines. It's yeah, sort of, when she does that leap, the main body of the star destroyer. Well, this is hammer. it. Like, why did she go from? Because once they miss that first time around, they've got to set it up to try it again. And I'm thinking, well, why doesn't she just in free fall just pull away from the the debris? <laughs> I th- <laughs> think because it bookends then with that original. I'll meet you. I'll race you down. Oh, that's funny that you say that now because. That totally makes sense to me now. Then it was for, you know what, we're having a bit of playful. Now it's like, okay, we need to get this done. Yeah, race you to the ground. Yeah. I don't have a jetpack. I don't need one. (laughs) 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 Yeah. Ahsoka putting herself into a free fall nosedive manages to get clear of most of the debris, actually managing to land on and run down a large broken off section of the ship. Rex is then able to position the Y-Wing ahead of her, and Ahsoka, in what I describe as a Hail Mary leap, throws herself off towards the fighter one more time. All the while still rocketing towards the ground, this time she's able to grab the gunner's hatch ring and pulls herself in. There's a moment of panic on her face. Well, there really is. I almost feel like she used the force to give herself that extra six inches there. I wondered, like, is she pulling? Is she pulling? Is she not? it's ambiguous. There's a look on her face there where she nearly doesn't she, that moment of, uh, <laughs> uh. 
it's really well for a cartoon bro really well done i had to keep in mind that they're like they're literally in free fall at this point right so he there's this element of like she's falling at the speed of gravity whatever gravity on this planet is Mm. he's under under thrust from the engines of the y-wing so you know he's probably breaking at some point trying to match her speed like Absolutely. This is a like a super super complex, you know, set of maneuvers. And Hank, you can appreciate this. This was my Robotech moment. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This is Rick Hunter trying to pull Minmay into May, the hundred percent. Yeah. And I thought, oh my God, I can't not mention this. <laughs> I, the only thing that would have made it better is if Rick's uh, Rick's <laughs> Rex. If Rex had got out of, half out of the cockpit to actually grab her by hand. Yeah, really. Flew um, up against the, the inside. Lauren noticed in this the, like the physics in this scene. They animated the crap out of this. The no, they totally did. Yeah. They're perfect. You can feel the G's that they're both pulling. Yeah. So cinematic, so big, and so intimate and personal at the same time. I thought they were much closer to the ground than they were because I was really caught up in the the tension of, like, they might not actually pull this off, and I had visions of them thundering in. But then in the next moment, we kind of get a better idea of exactly where we're at when Rex pulls the Y-Wing out of its dive. And as the two pull away in the fighter, we can see that the Venator has uncontrollably rolled onto its side. And as it descends through the cloud, the image I got was this like reminiscent of Jaws as the shark fin kind of goes below the water. In complete silence, Rex and Ahsoka acknowledge each other with just a glance before the scene cuts away to an overhead pan shot of the crashed Star Destroyer. It's come in belly down, and it looks to be mostly intact. At the front of the ship, we see the lone Y-Wing sitting on the ground facing the remains of the once mighty warship. Rex approaches the fighter on foot with a shovel in his hand. Securing the shovel, Rex turns to look back towards the Venator. At this point, we're treated to another piece of Kevin Kinner's compositional masterpiece in Burying the Dead, which plays like a funeral dirge as we see Ahsoka wrapped in her gray cloak, staring over the graves of the clones that she and Rex have undoubtedly just buried. Three ranks of graves, each one marked with a clone helmet. The shot is punctuated with a close-up of Jesse's helmet bearing the Republic sigil, the last symbol of hope, and now the first symbol of tyranny. Alone in her thoughts, Ahsoka removes one of her lightsabers from her belt. She glances at it and then drops it to the ground. It's almost like, in this moment, I I had to think about it for a second, because I'm like, wait a minute, did she lose one? I think she did. She didn't. No, I rewound the episode and I made sure that I watched the whole free fall sequence and she's got both of them strapped to her belt the whole time. So she's consciously made it. Why drop just one? Why not both of them? It's a message. I feel like, so I kind of thought, you know, in the moment, it's like symbolically saying that she's buried a piece of herself or that part of her died that day too. Do you know what I mean? It's it's either a message for Anakin or it's 
I think now that I'm thinking about it, the second, the thing that you said, I think it's maybe her trying to cover up her, her herself being alive. Do you think it's the, as simple as her way of like throwing anybody that might come after them off the trail? Like I died in the crash. Certainly it's heavier. I mean, it has bigger connotations. She hesitates. She's going through something in terms of her decision to, to let go that part of herself. But I think that that knowing that that's going to be found might just throw them off the trail. It's probably multi, it's, it's very multifaceted. It totally is. I, I was drawn back to the conversation, uh, back in the communication suite mm-hmm. where, uh, you know, I did my duty as a citizen and Yoda his, but not as a Jedi and her not yet, you know, like there was some intention there with it. When you use the word not yet, it implies like I'm getting there, but I'm not there yet. That's and right. I wonder if this was her way of like 100% completely abandoning sort of, you know, the Jedi way. Because really, as I, in my mind, as I'm standing there or as I'm sitting there watching her and we see her wrapped and I'm like, oh, it's Ahsoka the Grey, you know, mm-hmm. not a Jedi anymore. Completely not a Jedi. That's right. Which contrasts with our opinion of what we said about her in The Mandalorian where we all kind of agreed that, nope, she's come back to the Jedi ways. So, this is a good um, 15 years before that, though. for sure. It is for sure. Yeah. This episode of Fandom Power is brought to you in part by CollectorsPlatoon.ca. CollectorsPlatoon.ca, organizers of the annual Toronto Collectors Platoon Toy Show. Check out CollectorsPlatoon.ca, the Canadian home of Ian's display accessories, specializing in action figure stands for figures of all scales. Visit CollectorsPlatoon.ca today. If it is a message to Anakin, Hank, what do you mm. think the message is saying? See, I had said that out loud, and now I'm thinking about it, because she has no way to know that Anakin is alive or that Anakin's at the center of this. All she knows is what Maul told her, and she believes it firmly to be a lie. Yep. If it yep. is a message for Anakin, it's maybe the message is that like there, there's hope. Because I actually feel there's something to the next scene there's some symbology to the very next scene that that is important for the Anakin Skywalker character. And maybe that, maybe explaining that in a second will explain how I feel. Okay. It might have been a message. Sure, so. sure. Before we jump to that, though, we should point out there is a droid, or at least pieces of a droid. That's right, yeah. Under the yeah. wing. Yeah, before we recorded, we kind of, we talked about this because I had mentioned earlier about my disappointment that they missed an opportunity to write uh, cheap as being uh, chopper before he was potentially because chopper clearly is is a mishmash of droid parts when we see him in rebels and when we see cheap show up it's like oh it's it's the same voice it's and it's got the same little ray dome on top of his regular dome and i'm like that's got to be chopper you know and then that whole like well we were thinking about making him chopper but then we didn't and then now andy like you say you and both of you because i i miss it i was so I was so inside my own emotions crying at the idea of burying these soldiers that I, I missed that there was droid parts stacked up underneath the, the Y-Wing. Mm-hmm. We think it's possibly cheap, possibly R7? Yeah, they were split down the middle on, on that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I haven't had a chance to look at the still while you guys were looking at it. Um, I'd like to look at it again. But, guys, if um, you've watched the episode recently and you have an opinion... Drop us a line at our social media and tell us what you think. 
the scene uh, kind of it's an interesting little transitory piece because it's not a wipe, but it's like a a crossfade. It's a yeah, it, it's a crossfade close up on her face to a Lambda class Imperial shuttle. So you know we the fully way it drops down over her nose. It makes the triangle over her mouth. It's like putting the helmet of Vader over her as we transition. It's interesting, yeah. In terms of that. Yeah, it's pretty cool. And foreshadowing too, right? Mm. You know, the shuttle lands. It's now a wintry, snow-covered field. And there's a contingent of both Imperial snowtroopers and standard stormtroopers. Time has passed. And while I know that it was just a reuse of the animation assets that they already had, I thought it was cool that we've now transitioned to the Rebel style animation. You know, there's yeah. a there is a stylistic change from the Clone Wars to Rebels. That's right. It's the crash site of the Venator, and this isn't just any shuttle. As we hear the unmistakable raspy breathing of Lord Vader as he strides across the screen. He approaches the nose of the Venator alone. An indeterminate period of time has passed, and the once clearly marked graves are no more. He pauses for a moment, and kneeling down, he picks up the lightsaber dropped there by Ahsoka. He hits the activation stud, and the blue blade springs to life. Closing down the blade and turning his gaze upwards, we can see the last vestiges of Anakin Skywalker behind the red lenses of Darth Vader's helmet as he spots Morai, the Convar, circling overhead. Morai the Convar, also known as Ahsoka's Owl, who, as we mentioned earlier, is often depicted as a servant of the daughter or as the daughter of Mortis herself. So, this is where we we were sort of inferring that, you know, this is uh, our first, I guess, real treatment to like contextual treatment of like how Morai is associated with Ahsoka. Yeah. This is the, apart from those Mortis episodes, um, right. Cause it's actually her, it's her, like her familiar in, in rebels. Yeah. Uh, and certainly the, we get the exact same flight overhead after the duel with Vader in rebels. For me, there's some there's some really deep thematic things going on here, um, and we're gonna have to jump back and forth between that duel in the future and this scene. In this moment, when Vader looks up at at Morai, you can see Anakin through the the red lens of the helmet. Now, yep. that's that's also a fan service throwback to the original way that Vader looked, the way they made him look in Rogue yeah. One, the way he looked in the original '77, just because they couldn't actually cover it up. Yeah, the red and, lenses and not not the they, all blacked out. And they've thematically canonized that to represent the fact that that you could just still see the edges of Anakin inside. There's a thematic thing here. So left and right sides in history, in literature, in religion, they have different connotations. Left always being dark and evil, and right always being good and just. Right. And find these themes run through like Greek mythology, they run through Norse mythology, they run through biblical stuff. They, yeah. they they bleed into the fact that some of our grandparents were forced to use their right hand because left-handed children were of the devil. 
okay so when we see him look up through that that lens we're seeing his left eye mm, that's true and we're seeing seeing vader look up at the sky to see morai and when that duel occurs when she shatters his helmet with her lightsaber we see yeah, his right eye that's the right eye we see the last parts of anakin there interesting and so this is a message the lightsaber is a message to anakin and it's a message of hope it might be a, a like a like a doorbell when he sees her for the first time the apprentice lives it's it's yeah. easy to, it's easy to feel like that duel happens very shortly after after this movie. yeah very short yeah it's easy to imagine that's for sure right like within months or maybe a year like we're the empire is just forming we've switched all the uniforms over maybe some of those stormtroopers are still clones they might be for a couple of years later there's a patina to her saber it's it's rusted if you will. yeah there's i definitely picked that up too like i i'm like oh it's been there for a while some corrosion right and and so i think i think it's really important there's a really strong symbology there of darkness and light and it and it plays out and it, it's it's about hope it's about letting go it's about uh the immortal nature of Ahsoka the Grey and the the struggle between good and light inside Anakin. It's we needed this ending because it ends. I said I said it before off air that Revenge of the Sith was it for us when we were kids. That's I right. mean we were young adults, but it was it. There was no more Star Wars. That was the final note. Close the curtains. We didn't know about yep. the future. Yeah, that's all we had. And that this does the exact same thing. But it's so much more powerful. I agree with such you. Such a better ending. I agree. There, there's the catharsis that we needed there, and I think a lot of this, like the Luke Skywalker episode of the Mandalorian, the the Mandalorian itself. Yeah. Um, certain things that really struck heart notes in the sequel trilogies are all of them beginning to understand that that there's a there's a catharsis. In, in in bringing up these old memories and 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 maybe fine tuning them and correcting them and giving them the proper yeah you know send off if you will and this is maybe the greatest ending of all time i agree with everything you said i agree with all the symbology and all the thematic elements can i tell you what took me out of it mm. so this isn't just sure. me this is a nitpick and it doesn't detract from the episode. Well, it does, but I don't mean this to pick it apart. But I find it difficult to accept that that the graves were no more, but yet the lightsaber remained on the surface of the snow. Do you know what I mean? Like at first, I, I was I, like, "Did somebody come along?" Because I, like I say, it's an indeterminate period between the crash. And the whatever this operation is, I don't presume it to be a recovery. Maybe it is a recovery of some sorts. But I would presume that anybody, to me, it was like, okay, the clone helmets are gone. So either the weather was so severe that they got blown away and all the stakes got knocked over. Or somebody's come along and they've salvaged whatever they could, which included maybe the armor bits. So if you watch it, there's a scene where Vader's walking up. And just for the split a second, it's not from behind. It's kind of off to the side. There are still helmets on spikes, but they disappear when he's standing there by himself. Well, that's what I mean, and and I mean, I I they, went back and I looked. They are there in the scenes. They like, but they're not, they're not absolutely front and center when he picks up that 
lightsaber, of course. Yeah, which is just there. You I, you can see. I thought maybe the snow had gotten so deep that that was the point, and then it didn't make for sense for like you say her lightsaber to be it's on right the on top. Yeah, yeah. I'm just imagining maybe it's just you know it has to be wind or or erosion. They they certainly buried the bodies pretty shallow. There was a lot of holes in the ground. That is there. absolutely true. Yeah, they were almost like cairns and not graves, I guess. But to the yeah, wind right. theory, there is a helmet a few feet away from the lightsaber. Yes, and so, so it could have been blown off. Well, or, okay, so yeah. let's just let's just close this off because that is sort of the that's the closing shot of the episode is Vader's sort of had the we've seen Morai. He turns to walk away, and as as he walks past the camera, past the his cloak, we see uh, what's left of a three hundred and thirty second uh, clone helmet. And the camera pushes in on the helmet, and we see the reflection of Vader striding away in the visor of that helmet. But it's the only helmet that I can recall seeing in the shot. Hmm. Yeah, we. Yeah, I'd have to take another look at that. That's very powerful too. Yeah, uh, him walking away. I'm glad it wasn't Jesse's helmet being a three thirty. Like it's the paint yeah. job. It's the Ahsoka's. That's right. Her tattoo pattern, I guess. Right, and it's the close the curtains on on that. This it's it's perfect. It's yeah, perfect. it's a super, it's a super, super end cap. You know, I mean, you go back to the 2000, what, 2008, we got the, uh, the feature, the feature film. Mm-hmm. Go back to 2008 and inside of the first five minutes, you know, you've got this bright eyed bushy tailed kid, you know, who shows up. Who are you? I'm a Sokotano. I have been sent here. I'm an apprentice. And Obi-Wan's like, I've already got one. And she's like, I'm not yours. I'm his. <laughs> You know, so it opens with her and it closes with her on some level, you know, certainly. So, yeah, that was that that was the only thing that took me out of the episode. But by that time, I was already so invested emotionally in all of the other stuff that it was like, nah, I don't care. (laughs) Yeah, but I I know where you're coming from on a personal level uh, for you, the. The graves was a heartstring. Oh my god! Suddenly they're not there. You're like, wait a minute. (laughs) Yeah, I want nothing more than to weep in front of Vader. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, what? Grave robbers too? Shit. (laughs) Did we get the name of the moon? Did that come out anywhere? There was there was some Orbesh that I didn't get to on the screen when they were crashing, and I don't know if that was like alert hyperdrives out. Jim's moon were about to crash. You know, it could have been anything. I don't think it was uttered. Like, the, we didn't get it. I don't think so either. Just ambiguous. Yeah. Ambiguous moon of something, something. That was the other thing that kind of, that niggled at me was we didn't get the name of the moon. And for the life of me, I thought for sure we'd get the name of the of the Star Destroyer. And maybe oh, it's... down? Yeah. Maybe it's out there, but I didn't get it. Did you not call it the Venator at one point? Well, that, that that's the class. That's right. That's the class. Uh, right. Let me see what Google says. Unidentified moon. <laughs> <laughs> Unidentified moon. That's nice to know. Yeah, so the moon is never named. Oh, okay. So the the Venator class Star Destroyer Tribunal. 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 That hmm. is... This is a Wikipedia entry. It, it it is classifying it as a canon entry. Hmm. If I click tribunal, yeah, really, tribunal. 
was a Venator-class Star Destroyer in service to the Galactic Republic during the end of the Clone Wars, after former Sith apprentice Maul was captured by former Jedi Padawan Ahsoka Tano during the Siege of Mandalore, he was transported aboard the Tribunal with Tano and Clone Commander Rex, intending to deliver him to the Jedi High Council on Coruscant. Interesting. Okay. I'm surprised that that never... Yeah, I don't... It must have come out in one of the scripts or something. That's another thing, too. This week's uh, research component on a lark, I actually uh, typed in the episode into Google and I typed the word script and I actually got a script. Oh. Yeah. Like an actual script like that that describes all of the shots and the transitions. And, yeah. yeah, it was interesting. So I thought, you know what? There's an exercise if we ever wanted to to go back. That's not occurred to me late in the uh, Mandalorian game. But in the reviewing process. Like a, like a blue butterfly. Um, so, yeah, but I, I had thought about that. And if they're out there, certainly it would be a great way to... I found myself when I was super into Lost, uh, scouring the internet for the scripts to go yeah. through to see if there's no changes or weird things. Or, so, yeah. And certainly scripts, you know, do go through evolutions. I mean, entire movies can be, you know, uh, changed overnight or even like in the dailies, right? Like, okay, here's the, here's the six pages we revised last night. And next thing you know, your actors are like, oh, got to learn these new lines. Like crazy. I don't know if it happens so much in animation and ADR, but certainly in live action it happens it would be nothing to change dialogue in animation because the the mouth movements aren't uh they, they certainly take liberties there it'd be nothing yeah. to change dialogue yeah yeah so there you have it before we get going i want to go back and let's let's touch on the other piece of homework that we talked about and that was uh, i guess last week all of the stuff that was happening with the clones and you know as order 66 was unfolding i was like well, what about all the other named guys? What about... Where do uh, they go after it's done? And yeah. Done? So what about Wolf and Gregor, who turn up in Star Wars Rebels? I guess it's Ahsoka that kind of leads them to to connect with them, but you had to wonder what happened to them. So so there's, there's a couple things here. One of them is just sort of this vague... I'll talk about Wolf first, because there was the least amount of information on him. And all I could come up with was there was a vague, it is likely that Clone Commander Wolf did carry out Order 66 at whatever, wherever he was in the galaxy. And it was after that that he would have removed his uh, inhibitor chip. Now, Gregor, on the other hand, is a little bit different because I had forgotten this. But Gregor actually shows up in a single appearance in Clone Wars. So it's uh, Season 5, Episode 11. The short version is Gregor is a clone commando, as in like Republic commando. But by the time he shows up in that episode, he's already got amnesia because something happened. He was injured or something in a battle and he had amnesia and he was working as a dishwasher. So the life that had been built around the amnesia was that he was indebted to some other guy, essentially. Hmm. Yeah, but by the end of the episode, like he sees a recording from Rex, and he's made aware that of who he is, that he's a, he's a commando. He makes a promise to come home, but 
by the end of the episode. Now, it's part of the four-episode arc with R2-D2 and the, and the droids, where the droids kind of do their special mission thing with the little, and I can't think of his name, the little, the little uh, Republic general who basically is like, it's like a little frog guy, really. But at the end of the episode, you're kind of left with the impression that Gregor may have died in the in the final moments of that episode because there's a big firefight and there's, uh, I guess, some explosions and stuff. Hmm. Which, of course, he didn't die, but there is no mention of Gregor between that single episode and the time that he turns up in Rebels. Hmm. Yes. So, yeah, there you have it. It's not a clear and concise answer, but it's the best thing that I could come up with. Well, there is one thing for Wolf. What do you got? Uh, Clone Wars writer Henry Gilroy. Yeah. He speculated at Dragon Con 2018 that Wolf more than likely did follow through with the Order 66. Sure. And his chip was removed shortly after. Right. But the programming and the trauma still remained impactful on him. I think that was key about Order 66 was the, the programming, you know, motivated them in the moment but it doesn't you know negate the actual experience or the living the memory of it right yeah. so i mean which kind of explains his aggression towards canon jarris when they get to that point well and there therein lies that as um you know hank alluded to the maybe the bad batch will uh clear up will those. clear that up because that whole aftermath about those guys who lived it then now they've got to live with the repercussions of what they've done and they know what they've done. So that could make for some very compelling television. Absolutely. Well, guys, that's it. That's order 66. That is our four part review series with a hiatus in between. (laughs) We did it. We made it through. We got through all four episodes. I think, uh, I think this was a good exercise in uh, in the review process. I was super happy to keep the Star Wars conversation going. Fully. I think that maybe we might be able to, if, you know, maybe we'll try an episode of The Bad Batch uh, in terms of our palette and see if we want to yeah. pursue that as, as a review show. There's more stuff in the pipe. And I, quite frankly, I don't know about you guys, but my favorite property uh, of lately, I mean, uh, Mandalorian, obviously notwithstanding, is rebels and i would love to sit down with you guys and talk about rebels in some in some sort of maybe four-part detail uh one episode per season perhaps even uh i I would definitely be down for something like that i think we you know the research piece because the whole thing started with the mandalorian and we like we we dove into that really hard but like all of those backgrounder pieces that we talked about you know those you know, watch these four episodes of Rebels and watch That's these right. seven episodes of Clone Wars. Exactly. Those are those are great pieces that we can go back and revisit to sort of tie it, keep it all tied together. And maybe that's what we can, uh, you know, for uh, for an ongoing Star Wars discussion is we can look at uh, pick out some of those key uh, episodes about Maul and the Dark Saber and certain characters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There is a there's a ton to um and i'm thinking of devoting part of the other thing i'm working on to this is that there's so much going on in comics right now and uh at the heart of it is this gentleman charles sewell who's writing a lot of the high republic novels but he's writing all the canon star wars comics that are in the eras that we enjoy so all the stuff 
about Darth Vader looking for oh, Luke. Oh, great! All the, yeah, all the stuff that happens, the like the the hunt, the canon hunt for Han Solo, all happening right now in the comics. It's it's amazing uh, stuff. Um, if you guys can get your lips on them, oh man, there's some really really strong things happening in the comics right now, and um, I'd be I'd be down for a heavy discussion on some of that stuff if you guys brush up. Yeah. It would take me a while to uh, to get there. <laughs> I'm not opposed to doing to putting in the work, but it's going to take me a while to get caught up. Get you. That being said, let's talk a little bit about the future or where the show's going. And I don't just mean uh, you know Fandalorian Order sixty six. I mean Fandom Power as a show. We're going to switch gears a little bit. Uh, our next session, we're going into Marvel. Yeah, Wes had a vision. <laughs> Wes's vision no so actually I was pitched uh, guys a fans of the show uh, uh, one of our guests our frequent guest Eric down in Toronto had uh, called me up randomly walking down the street one day and he was quite excited to say why aren't we doing fan division and I said that's a, that's a great idea of course by that time the show was like well into its run and I think part of it was we had already committed to doing Order 66, so, I mean, it, there, would, there would have been some overlap. Overlap, for sure, yeah. And I don't want to take away from one to give to another. Like, if we're going to go and do, like, a beat-by-beat-style review, which i got to tell you, we're not doing that. Um, <laughs> because there is a... Uh, one thing I've learned from, from taking up the hobby here in podcasting is that... Um, there is a lot of background to to do. There's a lot of homework for me. So, as the primary uh, narrator of our tale, <laughs> right, I yeah. uh, I do a lot of writing, and so I did. I don't want one show to detract from another. So, kind of want to uh, um, make sure that what we're bringing you guys is entertaining. At its heart, it has to be entertaining. If it's not entertaining, then it's not worth doing. I want it to be fun, but it has to be accurate too. Yes. Yeah, yeah, it absolutely has to be that. I don't want to say something that's not necessarily true or, you know, just pull it out of my butt and, you know, put it out there like it is the gospel because that's just not fair to anybody. But WandaVision has aired. It's it's now complete, all nine episodes, and now the first episode or perhaps the only episode of... Assembled. Assembled. So I like Eric's idea. Like we're going to go back and we're going to take a look and and we'll do a a season in review or a season highlight reel, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. So we're going to talk about that coming very soon. Then I guess we've got a couple of we've got some options because there's all of the regular episodes, and I know Andy, you you pretty much write down everything. Every time I come up with an episode idea, you write it down. Can't forget you, it. I know you've got a list of them. So we we get we have our a breadth of things to pick and choose from. The uh, really excited to develop the Masters of the Universe episode. I think that's going to be a fun conversation because there's lots to talk about there. The Falcon and the Winter Soldier is coming out here shortly. And within one day of that, the Snyder Cut. Oh, wow. Yeah. So they are March 18th, March 19th, respectively. So depending on when you're listening to this, you may or may not have seen them by now. <laughs> uh, but that's those are both properties I would like to visit on some level. And uh, as always, we are open to you guys in terms of what you would like us 
to talk about. Robotech. <clears throat> Excuse me. Sorry. So I took the liberty of reaching out, not directly, but I, uh, uh, guys, if you follow our social media, I, I posted a couple weeks ago, there's a, a podcast out there. This is not uh, a solicitation by any means, but uh, mm. the Reflex Point podcast. It's a, great. yeah, two guys uh, in the U.S., Major Medina and Paul Marquez. They do a episodic breakdown of every episode of Robotech, and I think they're up to episode number 17 now. They've had two guests already. They've had uh, Rebecca Forstad, the voice of uh, Lynn Minmay, and uh, they just had, oh my God, I can't think of the gentleman's name, Captain Henry J. Gloval oh. just did a, a guest spot on their show. And, and very much they've got great chemistry. They review Their review style is similar to what we do with uh, the Fandalorian and Order 66 in the sense that they break it down sort of you know, scene by scene and kind of go through it. And it's really fun. So if you like the long form feature length review style and you're a fan of the North American Robotech, I highly recommend you check it out. It's uh, Again, it's the Reflex Point podcast. And so if we ever get to the point where we do something on Robotech, I'd like to uh, reach out to those guys and see if maybe we can uh, do something with them. Maybe we can... Certainly. I, I know them. like you, uh, for me, it's my other sort of big addition. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, that's... And I said that in our social media posts. I mean, if you... You know, anybody who's known me for any amount of time knows, you know, the, how important robotech is to me in terms of cultural significance and influence on my what i like in terms of pop culture and animation it's a it's a top two <laughs> i couldn't tell you what i did in grade 10 and 11 but i know the wingspan of a veritech that's right <laughs> and i know that uh, claudia's pineapple salad is lethal <laughs> yes sir notes. Uh, that's a little joke for anybody who knows uh, who's a fan all right, guys, there's lots coming. So uh, love to hear from you guys. Let us know what you think of the show. Let us know what you want us to cover next. You can always uh, reach out to us on uh, Facebook, Instagram, or you can tweet us, or you can uh, email if you like. I don't recommend the snail mail. We've already talked about that <laughs> once uh, earlier today about how you're gonna send us toys. strangely archaic the world is in wanting people to use snail mail for things, but to each their own, I guess. But uh, that's it for me, guys. Anything else you want to close on? I don't think Fantastic. So. Another, another great time, fellas. I almost don't want to switch the mic off. I'm actually uh, feeling uh, a longing like if I turn the mic on, we're not going to do this again. But I know that's not true because we are. Mm-hmm. Well, well, my okay. friends, I'm glad that uh, we got to do this. I hope you guys had a good time. It's, uh, it's been a hoot. I love it. This one was Order 66, so stay tuned for our next project. Fandom Power presents Fan Division. And until next time, Excelsior! Hey guys, thanks for listening to Fandom Power. Be sure to like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram and Twitter. Stay tuned for our next episode where we'll be talking about another one of your favorite fandoms. Fandom Power is a Sawcast production.
Have you ever wanted to start a podcast, but you didn't know where to begin? Maybe you'd like to try podcasting without having to invest in any recording equipment. Do you have an idea for a show, but you're not sure how to develop it? Let Sawcast Productions take care of all of that so you can focus on what it is you want to say. Sawcast Productions offers podcasting solutions ranging from recording and basic editing to fully produced episodes complete with all the audio embellishments of a broadcast quality show. And when your show is ready, Sawcast Productions can distribute it too. Contact us online today. So, what do you want to say? <laughs>